Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Diversity Lab, closing the gender gap through data, innovation, and science. Diversity Lab, talent done differently. Hello, listeners. It's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot, and I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable business development success. Go to leftfoot.com for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest has 18 years of in-house public company operating division and global markets experience. He works extensively with his organization's C-suite executives and the audit committee of his company's board of directors. Deputy General Counsel of PepsiCo, General Counsel North American Businesses, David Yaman, welcome to Left Foot. Hey, thanks, Nicole. Great to be here. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Dave. Let's jump into our questions. Which of your personal strengths and habits have allowed you to successfully transition to in-house counsel? Well, I think back, you know, 18 years ago, uh, a lifetime ago, seemingly in my mind. So the transition uh, hopefully is fully completed. But frankly, when I was, uh, whether I was at the firm before and certainly the entire time I've been in-house, it's just been, for me, the mantras have always been work hard, you know, be honest and get along with others, which are very simple, perhaps uh, idealistic kind of statements. As I got in-house, it became really clear to me that there were three things that I really needed to kind of bring forward to, to being a successful in-house practitioner. And that was one, kind of that price of entry, which was just to know the law and stay up to date with the law, which was probably the easiest part. The second part, though, was critical. And I think it's critical for anybody in-house and perhaps even your listeners as well, is to really know the business and to be curious you know, about how the company operates, how it actually makes sales, makes money, makes profit, etc. And to really learn and key into the risk tolerance and the sensitivities that the company has. So know the business is point number two. And then number three, which is really the critical part where you interact with in-house clients is to take that law and to take your knowledge about the business and translate the two and communicate it in a way so that, so that you're actually impacting the business decisions that business leaders are, are here trying to make. For me, I think there was a big communication you know, strength that had to be developed further. And I think that's a critical part on top of just knowing the law, being curious about the business and then communicating in a way that, that is clear for folks to be able to uh, action on when they're making their decisions. Great points. And, and of course, we talk about knowing the law's table stakes. Obviously, there's a lot of great lawyers out there and working with an organization like PepsiCo and being, being a supplier to PepsiCo, a firm that's working with PepsiCo, there's going to be good lawyers and, and good law firms involved, but really knowing the business and having that curiosity. Those are all strong things and can lend to success in-house as well as when you're outside counsel. Let's talk about that translation because I think that translating knowledge of the law and understanding the business and then working with the business professionals within an organization like yours, what have you seen that has really helped lawyers from firms do that? Is it those that have actual MBAs as well as law degrees? Or is it, again, those that are curious and really have spent time with the numbers and may understand them better than others? What are the traits of the lawyers that you choose to partner with from outside firms that really helps you translate information to the business partners internally there at PepsiCo? You know, at the end of the day, whether it's me in-house or whether it's firms outside that are that are trying to do work with PepsiCo. We're all part 
of a bigger business environment here, where at the end of the day, the business is trying to sell more and make more revenue and to do it at a lower cost so that the profits are bigger. And so there's just this basic proposition of, hey, uh, lawyers have a hard time, frankly, amplifying revenue unless you're kind of on a, a plaintiff's hunt. Typically, we're trying to reduce costs. That's really, we're into either risk mitigation or we're trying to keep the costs of some exposure to a lower level. And you just have to understand the context and the cost of doing the fight is also critical. And I think it's really important just to understand what's the size, the magnitude, the risk tolerance, the type of business that that you're interacting with. I know our shop here at PepsiCo, there's different parts of ourselves, which can be hard for the outside attorneys to really plug into. So there's some diligence that can be done externally, you know, just by going on our website and trying to poke and prod and, and do some diligence on the company before you come into contact with individuals. But then even as you get folks that engage with us and start talking to us, it really helps to bring that curiosity to bear and to really explore not just the legal issue. And too often I see outside firms really come in with a really narrow approach approach, really wanting to dive into what they know best, and that's the legal issues. But it really helps. And the folks that are really artful, I think, in building relationships with us and bringing more value to us, those that actually take some time, both on their own and in conversations with us, to really know you know, who we are, how we make business, what the size of the business is, how this particular matter fits into the broader context, how it fits in, the relative size of what this issue may be for PepsiCo, and perhaps not even just financially, but for a consumer products company like us, where brand impressions are important and every consumer in the marketplace reacts somehow to our brands, our reputation matters a lot. And so while for some companies, a scorched earth type of approach may work and be appropriate, and at times it can be for us too, there are definitely reputational elements to the legal issues that we deal with that are really important to a company like ours and many others these days, frankly. And so all that kind of holistic knowledge, both from a business or reputational and environmental perspective, is kind of an enhanced offering that I think outside attorneys have to bring on top of just the legal expertise, which really is, as you said before, the price of entry. All great points. It's interesting, even when you started and you talked about risk and we talked about costs, you know, it's a lot of what we hear from in-house counsel is there's risk in open-ended agreements, right? There's cost control in AFAs. There's a lot that goes into this, but the idea that it's a business and it's a complex business, the organization that you're working for and representing, it's complex. That understanding is really critical. I can tell you though, Dave, the, the response I get from a lot of lawyers when we talk about the relationship building part of it, and that's professional relationship building, asking the questions about the business, confirming what they read or understand from what's out in the market. A lot of lawyers are nervous about that because even if they say, hey, it's off the clock, because they feel like you don't want to spend your time cluing them in. I've actually had so many general counsel and legal operations professionals say to me, are you kidding? I would love to do that. I want our vendors and partners to know our business. You know, what is your approach? Have you been able to get your partners, your legal service providers, your tech providers, your law firm partners to really spend the time with you and and really be curious with you present, frankly, and ask those questions? Yeah, it is probably a more complex approach and topic and a little trickier. And the firms and the partners that we really turn to and really view as partners of ours and counselors to ours are those that have both expressed a desire to learn more about their business are frankly folks that, that definitely will do some of this as essentially a business development investment so they don't bill us for all the time. They have an approach, again, informed by what they might be able to do even before they walk into our offices or get on the phone with us. There's plenty that you can learn. There's certain of our outside firms who we've been doing business with for a while who you know we happen to see at industry conferences, which are business industry conferences. They're not legal conferences. They're 
business industry conferences, or they they tell us how they listen in on our earnings conference calls, you know, at the end of a quarter, or they've read our annual report. They invest some of their own time to kind of understand who we are and and how we go about business. They subscribe to industry periodicals, again, which are not legal periodicals per se. They're they're really industry periodicals. And all these things I don't think take a whole lot of time, but they actually fill in a lot of gaps. And at the end of the day, when I talk about that basic dynamic of knowing the law and knowing the business and then translating the two to be able to effectively counsel clients, knowing the business is a big part. Definitely, I think the more business-oriented, relationship-oriented firms and partners that we deal with, who in the end, we really value more, are those that actually invest in some of that time and experience. And we're willing to do the same with them. So I can't speak for other companies, et cetera. And for us, there are certain legal engagements that are very transactional that probably don't justify that type of mutual business or a time commitment to learn the business. Uh, But the folks that we turn to on a regular basis and we really consider partners of ours are those that we've both invested our time and they've invested some of their time to make sure that we're all kind of sharing and understanding of how the business works. So again, we're on the same side. We in-house lawyers and the firms are here to try to effectively counsel clients either to mitigate risk or keep the costs and the exposures or whatever risks that have manifested to a minimum. Again, to keep either the revenue high or the cost low so the profit remains high for the company. Just prior to our call, I was interviewing a law firm partner and we were talking about this focus on an industry and the idea that if you focus on an industry, you get to know that industry, you go to conferences where people from that industry are participating, you understand the the challenges that industry is facing or the opportunities, and then you go and work with more than one client in that industry, you're able to add value. And you're able to add value because what you're experiencing with one client, you suspect might be something that you'll need to, and hopefully can proactively work with the second client on. The reason I'm pointing that out is as a sales professional, I became good at selling news a lot about employee benefits administration and then outsourcing all three, not one, all three, right? Same thing with being a, an effective lawyer selling to a major corporation. You're going to know the law, you're going to know your practice area, and then you're going to know the industry. That's my question is for you in making decisions about the different firms you work with, are you comfortable working with firms that have other clients that might be in the same space? And is that actually an incentive? Once you're looking at firms, what are the things besides current knowledge in the industry? What are the other things you're looking for? When firms want to dive into an industry, there is a little bit of peril in there because it's a question of how many of competitive companies within the same industry are you going to be able to represent? There's obviously some industries, not unlike ours, where there's there's some really big clients in there. And you know you may not need the diversity of client work if you got a good relationship with you know one of the bigger players in the industry. You may get a sufficient amount of work to justify you know, the investment in the industry knowledge, which is a little bit of at least our experience because we work in a very competitive industry and we are sensitive. We look out after our individual interests. There's a little bit of probably hesitation there that I could see out of some firms. And it's probably a little bit of a tricky thing, probably manageable to some extent, again, depending on the nature of the business that's being done. Um, And I do think experience matters. There is the price of entry of knowledge and expertise. And the more that you understand the business environment, as I've said before, the, the more informed and the better value counselor. We want more 
And the folks that we derive more value from in terms of outside resources are really the same things that we look at in terms of evaluating ourselves internally. And that's who can really effectively counsel the business leaders on business decisions need to bring some business acumen and some industry and company knowledge to bear. I really want to do that as effectively as, frankly, the current marketplace of legal services requires. There is a lot of firms, as you know, and as all your listeners know, it is a very competitive service-based industry where expertise and value are certainly the prongs that get banged away at, you know, day in and day out. And it's a question these days is how do firms and partners really distinguish themselves? I think you do that by bringing more business acumen and curiosity to it. And I would just add, you know, another thing that's really critical to PepsiCo these days, and as a consumer products company where everybody in the world is a possible consumer of our products, both the consumers of our products and our employee population are hugely and widely diverse. We are essentially all of society. We look for that increasingly. And now really is the third leg of the stool for us outside of expertise and value is a real stated and demonstrated commitment to diversity in the law. And so PepsiCo is very consistent with our values and our approach generally as a company. We definitely make it a factor for us in in acquiring outside legal services to see both firms and then the teams of partners and lawyers that work on our matters be diverse racially, gender-wise, age, sexual orientation. We want a scope of diversity in all the suppliers that we work with, including those that we're getting uh, legal services from. And now a word from our episode sponsor. Diversity Lab creates and invests in innovative talent and diversity initiatives to help organizations find and keep the best talent. The lab hosts hackathons to inspire creative thinking, creates and pilots unique initiatives such as the OnRamp Fellowship, creates groundbreaking research, and highlights what others are doing to advance women. Go to diversitylab.com to learn more. Diversity Lab, talent done differently. Nicole here and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to refresh your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will refresh your efforts in three areas. Business Development Grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche, how to focus and develop an expert reputation, commercial savoir-faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Left Foot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to leftfoot.com. Our listeners tuning in to hear what was successful. Can you convey an experience where you hired either a firm for the first time or a technology company, an entity, because they did pretty much all the right things? Can you share a success story and what resonated for you in selecting a partner? We do more or less beauty contests for different buckets of work from time to time. And I've sat through countless conversations with firms and partners, all of whom were really articulate and really knew the law. And I I think your point about yeah, how do you distinguish yourself amongst a crowded and talented field really is the key for all your, your listeners who are kind of jostling to get business to develop those relationships. And, and I would say, again, it's, it's not unlike maybe advice, perhaps it's too simplified, et cetera, that I would give to anybody that was trying to interview for a job at PepsiCo, a company like ours rooted in our public profile, our public reputation, the values that we express externally, kind of the, our ethos. And we put that out there and we all 
live it internally. We also work in a very competitive industry, and it's not hard for anyone to actually identify the products that we bring to market, and we sweat over every single day in a very dutiful, detailed way. There's nobody in-house that isn't familiar with our products. Different firms and partners that have shown up for what is essentially a bid to do work for us that have walked in holding competitive product. It is what we deal with on a day-in and day-out basis in a very competitive basis. And this is in the nature of within a crowded field of legal service providers, how do you distinguish yourself? You distinguish yourself by showing a sensitivity and knowledge, which gets into the products that we both sell and having some sensitivity to that. And then it also gets into really understanding the very public things that we both state and we live here internally every day about our values. My example around our commitment to diversity, both within our employee population and our suppliers, great example for us. And if you walk in without having an understanding of that, it's not hard to find on our website. And if you haven't done a little bit of your homework, you'll be at a competitive disadvantage because I can assure you there are other firms and partners out there that are doing that kind of work and are doing it well to really understand kind of who who we are, what we believe in, what we stand for, and ultimately what our business is and our products are as they walk in the door. And a lot of times I've seen firms and partners essentially give us a reason not to choose them, you know, because they almost do something damaging to themselves even before we hear about the expertise, which again is, is a little bit of the price of entry. I worked for two major organizations, ADP and Xerox. And as I had people trying to sell to us or people interviewing, and if they hadn't done even a stitch of research, it shows pretty quickly. And I can tell you from my perspective, I would shut down pretty quickly as far as being receptive to that. In today's world with so much information available, you have to do that research. You have to spend the time. Executives do it. Busy people do it. There's other people that can assist if someone is truly not able because of their schedules to do that work for these lawyers. You know, there's teams of people that can assist. So I agree with you that it is so necessary. And then that respectfulness of understanding your market and how significant an item like bringing a competitive product, what that would say, not an acceptable response. And I absolutely agree that sensitivity needs to be part of it. It's very competitive out there. You have a large organization. Do you have formal legal operations or legal purchasing within PepsiCo? We as a leadership team within the law department get together and establish certain guidelines, approaches, and and essentially consistent standards that we bring to bear. But there's not per se a legal operations team. Frankly, it makes it a little bit harder, I think, um, for outside firms to interact with us because we do have different businesses around the world and certainly here in the U.S. at different points in time, you know, outside firm may be engaging with just one of our businesses as compared to kind of a centralized legal operations or procurement function. And at the end of the day, if that firm then wants to try to expand their work, they almost have to build relationships with other people within our shop. So we probably make it a little bit difficult, frankly, on firms and partners who try to do work with us because we're a little bit probably more decentralized, even though we stay connected from a policy and approach perspective, but we're not all that centralized from an operations or procurement standpoint. Understandably, it's a newer, newer, space and and definitely an evolving space. That said, when you're making decisions around technology, around project management investments, around different, if not firms, but outsourcing vendors to select, are you able as a group to spend the time, do the evaluation? And in that process, is there agreement among the lawyers across PepsiCo that it's time to embrace some of these newer offerings? I'll ask some follow-up questions to that but if you can address that first. 
you know, between the kind of legal services from law firms and, and what I would call some of the infrastructure and technology, as we procure legal services from firms, we're a bit more decentralized than certainly than we are from just a technology standpoint. And then, so to your point, at least in the U.S., we have three, maybe even four primary legal teams across different business lines and then our corporate secretary's office. And across those, we certainly share the same kind of technologies and we make joint decisions as to what technology tools and productivity we're going to invest in and ultimately collectively use across the entire enterprise. It's been kind of a, an evolving story, at least over my 18 years here at PepsiCo, and it continues to be. But as I look down the path, there's definitely, you know, in terms of technology companies and, you know, what I would call the infrastructure parts of operating a law department, I definitely see that as a much more centralized, single sale kind of approach across PepsiCo's operations as compared to the legal services, which can be a little bit more decentralized in terms of hiring the law firms from time to time. Especially in different markets where there's going to be, there might be a need for specific market representation. As you're looking at the infrastructure needs of the legal department amongst your businesses for PepsiCo, what are you seeing that you would consider to be innovative? Well, I think, you know, for us, people are just on the move. And there have been certain, I think of just your basic document management systems or, you know, file systems, et cetera. The companies that are actually making more of an impression and keeping themselves in the game are those that are really leaning in to making sure that they're as accessible and easy to use for a workforce, and that includes lawyers that are constantly mobile. Some of the technologies that I've seen, I've actually been a little surprised, aren't more forward-leaning on kind of mobile accessibility or at least ease of accessibility through some of that more remote access. It's almost just that user interface that I think needs to keep pace, not just in the core of the functionality, but how do you get there and how do you interface with it when you're not sitting at a desktop computer. Historically, folks have done until five, 10 years ago. The functionality of a lot of these technologies is very strong, but these days, kind of the interface on top and the accessibility of it, regardless of where the attorney or other folks are, is, you know, it's really a critical part of it. We spoke to a general counsel of a technology company earlier today, and she was noting that she said something similar. She said, you know, that a lot of times they're approached by a legal services organization or even a tech vendor, and they don't have what's expected today, a flexibility and that, that ability to use use that tool with that basic functionality, which having the ability to, to add what we expect from a usability perspective. For us, you know, whenever we implement, it's a big investment. When you think about, certainly we're investing into it and we're going to invest not just the money to implement it, but obviously we're investing time and energy up against an already overwhelmed work volume of things that we all deal with. The time to learn a new platform, to get used to it, to get it really up and running so that you can maximize the productivity or the utility of it. It's a big investment. We don't make those decisions lightly. And so at the end of the day, we need probably a company or technology that's got probably a little bit of history to it, but a history that's shows a level of, you know, adaptation and innovation that they're going to proactively bring to bear from time to time just to keep pace with ultimately how the workplace is going to change. And so you know, I almost put it into the bucket of we're betting on the horse, which is also the, which is the utility and the functionality of it. But we're also betting on the jockey to be able to steer this thing going forward so that, it, you know, we can continue to use it and ultimately get the return on the investment of both the initial purchase and whatever the licensing fee may be or the time and energy of just kind 
kind of integrating it into your operation, which is a really significant element of a purchasing decision for us. So we need that proven adaptability profile and commitment going forward. It's really a critical thing for us. The idea is obviously it's got to be implemented properly so that people use it. And it is a huge commitment, right? To keep that momentum going and having people see the value. And, and obviously there's a lot in that upfront decision. 18 years at PepsiCo, there's been a lot of change, a lot of change, changing market conditions, the competition, as we mentioned earlier, amongst law firms, legal services firms is, is much greater today. What kinds of changes and what kinds of adjustments has PepsiCo made, have you made in your work based on these changing market conditions? When I look at both when I was in practice and now as kind of the the you know the purchaser of legal services and legal technologies, just the amount of competition is pretty daunting. I mean, I'm sure it's always been that way. But what I would say is, and I think back to the 2008 timeframe, almost a decade ago now, where the legal industry as well as just corporations and the, the business community all suffered, you know, under tough economic conditions, which totally created a new normal around costs. And, and the thing that I would highlight that, especially to, to a lot of your listeners, as we talk about kind of the knowledge of the business, to understand the basic comp or base salary increases that we internally, at least within our industry, incur each year, which is probably not much north of inflation rate. You know, it might be in that 2 to 3%. And some of those comp statistics are pretty publicly available. But as companies and corporations implement internal restraint on their cost increases, firms have to be sensitive to that. I'm always surprised that the firm and the kind of the levels of increases that some firms at least will actually almost presume are okay and within the realm of acceptability. And for us, you know, at the end of the day, I'm paid to not just mitigate risk and do it responsibly, but I'm also responsible for delivering the legal services the company needs at, at the best cost I can possibly do it at. And when I go to the lawyers on my team and tell them that because of business conditions or it's been a tough year or we limit our increases to two or three percent, it's hard for me to have any conversation with outside service providers of increasing fees above that rate. And there's, there's a certain level of listening and hearing that message from some firms. There are others that almost come with almost a degree of either ignorance or hubris that would seem seemingly bring a, a sense of justification or self-righteousness to it. It's not to be too harsh. I don't see it too often, but I think it's a tougher business environment, period, for us in the corporate world that are competing with competitors, for those in the law firm world that are competing with competitors. And at the end of the day, it's all a value proposition. It's just hard for us to engage and feel like we have a partnership relationship with firms who ultimately aren't sensitive or aren't realizing the pressures that we're under and don't share in some of those pressures with us if they want a long-term relationship. And that's a tough thing because obviously law firms have their own cost structures that they have to manage and keep pace with. But I think the business environment in general, the market conditions have pushed both corporations and firms to really operate at the you know, the epitome of, of efficiency uh, and bring that all to bear in whatever ways they can and, and to continue to try to do so. And, and for firms and partners that aren't doing that, it becomes a challenging value proposition for us as we're out there you know, buying technology or buying, buying uh, legal services. We've had several firm leaders talk about communicating to their clients the different efficiencies that they've implemented. Saying to the client, you know, this is the result of us investing in technology, investing in project management, investing in matter management systems that provide data so they can do pricing predictions, outcomes predictions, basically tie, create a, a map. If we proceed this way, we expect that the outcome will be this and the cost will be this. To really present those things, firms are making these investments. And 
we've actually said to them, hey, are you communicating those? The clients will see value in that. They will see that they are getting a better value from that. Does that have an impact on you in making decisions when a firm comes in and says, we use these 10 pieces of technology and also we would like you to use three of these pieces of technology so that we can be more effective together? Does that impact impact your decision making? Yeah, I can't say that for me it has. I certainly have heard and I've been presented with some of those tools and those predictive models. They're actually more intellectually fascinating to me. And I think there's something there. I haven't personally, and I'm not sure we at PepsiCo have had enough experience to kind of prove those out. I say that not to be skeptical or doubtful, just to say that before you actually ascribed value to those, I think you'd probably have to earn your way into some sense that they're actually reliably predictable or that they're really helpful in steering things. And I think that would come with some experience. And I'm not sure that we've either invested in the experience or had the experience to be able to make the assessment around those. I wouldn't discourage firms from pursuing those paths. I do think that those are good ideas and things that will continue to bear fruit as we go forward. There needs to be be at least a little bit more of a record book created to be able to kind of prove out that those are actually got a return you know, on some of the investment that's going through it. I have no doubt the firms hope or believe that there are. It's not a big issue for us. I know that you know, from my perspective, where I put value on folks that we've been doing business for a while, kind of goes back to the efficiency that I get out of legal service providers or even, even technology companies who, who have gotten to know our profile and how we operate so that as new matters arise, it's just it's easier to turn the switch and get going. And that's a tremendous amount of savings. You know, we're invested in having relationships as much as the firms are. It's a better model for all of us, frankly, if we develop those relationships. Obviously, using the same counsel on multiple items in the same area, them having knowledge of your firm, that drives efficiency. You're educating on the specifics and they can rely on their past experience. That's efficient in itself. It really does help to drive a response that works for your firm. Dave, you've been in how for 18 years, you've had, of course, in- increasing responsibility over that time. And during that time, I'm sure you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different lawyers from outside firms. Any advice you'd give to new partners, to senior associates that are really looking to change the way they approach clients and, and really look for additional opportunities? What advice would you give those partners? I go back to the same advice that I give lawyers, and it's frankly the same advice I give myself. Nicole, every day, you need to be an, an expert in the legal matters. That's why you're being hired. That's why you know you have a seat at the table. And then you do have to, you know, as we said before, do your homework and understand the business. And then I think you really, even before you try to communicate and translate those two to, to influence, I think it's really important to try to listen and, and to hear what the company's looking for. It can be difficult for outside firms. So you got to be patient. You might even get mixed messages from different individuals within internal law departments. It can be difficult to understand who's who and what's what. So I think it's important to ask questions and listen to the answers that clients are given and just try to understand holistically, as I do with internal clients, as to what's going on and to try to get as much insight as possible. Again, because at the end of the day, the legal matters are just one element of the risks that companies are trying to deal with. And unless we advise, whether it's myself or whether it's outside firms advising clients and trying to guide them through whatever legal matter it is, if you don't have 
a better sense of how this fits into the broader picture, you're going to miss the value proposition. It's hard to do because I think lawyers are built to become functional experts and knowledge experts against a certain piece. And they're not always taught a lot, especially in, in, within firms, I think, a lot about kind of the broader business environments, pressures, especially when you get into a diverse number of clients. It's hard to keep pace with all of them and all their businesses. But I do think that is kind of a distinctive element. You know, new partners or, or business development folks should at least aspire to and be sensitive to and keep working at it. It's important to aspire in that direction while also, you know, never losing sight of the fact that you are bringing your expertise to bear. Having an understanding of what, what drives a CFO of a public company, there is that shareholder component. Uh, we often hear too that the speed, the need for speed in some decision making is so important and, and not all firm lawyers have that, have that understanding because of the pace of other clients they might be working with or the pace of the firm generally. All those things and being conscious of that need to be front of mind when working with clients. So Dave, what do you enjoy most about the work that you're doing? I do love working at PepsiCo and that is why I've been here for so long. It's always changing. It is fast moving. And you made a prior point about outside attorneys needing to kind of move at the pace of business. You know, I often think our jobs internally are to mitigate the company's exposure, reduce it as much as possible while not slowing down the pace of business. And the pace of business has got real value to it. And it's, it is good advice to, you know, outside firms and, and lawyers and partners that occasionally they have to move sometimes faster than they're intuitively comfortable doing. For me at PepsiCo, that pace is part of the thrill of why I love working here. You kind of come to the work every day. It's a competitive environment just within the, the industry that we work at. And that, that energy kind of pulses through the whole organization. And at the same time, the organization's got a real ethos to it. I mean, it's a place that really cares to do things right. It cares to be a part of a broader societal community where we're actually trying to do stuff that you know brings joy to people. I mean, we don't, we're not saving the world. We're not uh, propelling m- mankind into the 23rd century. It's a fun, fun place to work. And regardless of your business, I think that the thrill of being an in-house uh, attorney, and it, it is for me at PepsiCo, and it certainly would apply the same if you get to be a real partner or counselor, you know, even from an outside firm to a company, is you sit at a table and your seat at the table is the legal seat per se. And you're sitting at the table with the CEO and the head of sales and the head of marketing and the head of R&D and the head of supply chain and HR and finance and our others are there. And the whole team is a collective group. We're trying to make the best decision possible for the business so that you can either maximize sales or reduce costs. And at the end of the day, your view from a legal perspective is you know, one element to that broader picture. And in the course of that discussion, you get all these other inputs and you get a real sense of perhaps a risk that in the base sense, you might not want to take from a legal perspective, but given all the other factors that you're hearing from all the other different functions at the table, perhaps the risk that you thought was significant from a legal perspective really isn't that big in the big scheme of things or vice versa. At times, the legal decision and the legal issues are really you know, at the forefront of a business decision. I'm fortunate to work at a company that, that really cares to do things right from a legal perspective, but it's important for me and really fun for me to sit at that broader group where I'm not sitting in a, in a room full of lawyers, not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, but I'm sitting in a cross-functional table here and all about a much broader business proposition you know, of which the legal elements are just a part of it. That's a blast uh, for me and it, it's really fun. It uh, keeps you on your toes. I, I call it invigorating and exhausting every single day. I have no monopoly on that. I'm sure your life's no different than that. It's a blast. It's interesting and that idea too that you represent such a strong brand. It is a brand that brings joy to people. First off, employing that many people is is not a small thing. I'm a huge fan of, of your leadership. 
Dave, great points. I know they'll be appreciated by our listeners. Any last thoughts you'd like to share before we say goodbye? You know, I would. the only thing I would say is life is a journey. I could sit here and tell you I never had any idea 18 years ago that I'd be doing today what I'm doing today. And it's really just an accumulation of experiences, interactions with people, with clients, and trying to pick up a little something each and every day. So we've talked a lot about how do outside lawyers really develop the level of business acuity and, and knowledge that will distinguish them from some of their legal competitors. You can do that through certainly intense relationships with clients, but you also do that through an accumulation of experiences amidst you know lawyers who are really paid for expertise that comes from repetition, from really getting good at what they do. Uh, there's also got to be some piece of the day that is rooted in doing something new and different and trying to grab onto new experiences. And I think over time, that's how lawyers go from being kind of narrow legal experts to becoming real business uh, partners and counselors, just to kind of embrace you know new things amidst while you know we do the core of our job every single day. Strong last point. Dave, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.